Hey super friends, my name is Neil and welcome to this episode 88 of the Get Your Comic Con podcast. We are here fortnightly-ish to bring you a slice of film, TV and pop culture goodness from our studio direct to your speakers. This week I am joined by four very special guests as we celebrate this week's release of Batman The Doom That Came to Gotham, a brand new animated movie from Warner Brothers Animation which is available now on DVD, Blu-ray and digital platforms where all good movies are sold. So we are going to be joined by, and I'm very excited by this, we are joined by co-director, producer and DC animation legend Sam Liu, who has worked on projects all the way back to 2004's The Batman Animated Series. We're also joined by the writer of this film, Jace Ricci. Jace took the original comic book, which was written by Mike Brignola and Richard Pace, and brought it to the screen. And we are going to be joined by two of the voice actors from the film. One is the voice of Batman himself, David Giuntoli, who you might know from the TV series Grimm. He was also the voice of Batman in Batman Soul of the Dragon, which was released, I'm going to say last year, but maybe it was the year before. And we are also joined by uh, TV legend Patrick Fabian, who is voicing Harvey Dent in this film. So without further ado, let us get down to business. Batman The Doom That Came to Gotham was a three-issue miniseries which was published by DC back in 2001 and then republished later on in a collected edition. As I just said, it was written by the legendary Mike Mignola, who you will know from his work on Hellboy, and was co-written by Richard Pace. Mignola also did some wonderful covers. The cover for the collected edition of this book is probably an image that you know well, even if you don't know that it's this book specifically, because it's such a iconic image of Batman. Uh, the the, I'm supposed to say the film. The book had artwork from penciler Troy Nixie, inker Dennis Jank, and uh, colorist Dave Stewart, and is a Lovecraftian supernatural horror about uh, kind of 1920s Gotham invasion of Bruce Wayne, who has to face his own inner demons and challenges to his scientific mind when this strange supernatural force comes to Gotham. The film itself uh, has a wonderful ensemble cast, which includes... Now, you know me, I'm going to do this in IMDb order, so it's going to be slightly fractured. So we've got David Giuntoli as Batman, Gideon Adlin as Oracle, Karen Bra as Sanjay J. Todd, Jeffrey Combs as Kirk Langstrom, David Dasmarchane as Grendon, Darren DePaul as Thomas Wayne, John DiMaggio as Jim Gordon, Patrick Fabian as Harvey Dent, Tati Gabriel as Kylie Kane, who's a character we'll talk a little bit more about later on. Brian George as Alfred. Christopher Gorham, who you, many of you will know as The Flash from the previous continuity of animated movies, as Oliver Queen. Jason Marston as Dick Grayson. And I was going to say more, but we will... Oh, I will say Tim Russ. The wonderful Tim Russ, who was Tuvok in uh, Star Trek Voyager, voices Lucius Fox. There are a few more, but I'm not going to say them because they are technically spoilers for what happens in this film. So, where do I start? This is an Elseworlds story, so it is not set within the continuity of, uh, I guess, what we're calling kind of the Tomorrowverse that started with Superman, Man of Tomorrow. So that's why this is not Jensen Ackles voicing Batman. This is David Giuntoli, who's kind of become the de facto Elseworlds Batman at the moment. Brilliant actor, brilliant voice for Batman as well, who, uh, obviously in Soul of the Dragon, it was more of this 70s kung fu... Uh, satire type vibe whereas this is much darker much more brooding much more serious and he gets to play a really cool version of Batman which is I guess it has similarities to uh, Gotham by Gaslight which came out a few years ago in that it does have that steampunky Victorian classic 
look to it but this is very very gothic very dark very supernatural very horror which I absolutely love. All things that I love about Batman. Uh, before I say more, though, as we're talking about David, why don't we listen to what happened when I chatted with him about this film? Hi, David. How are you doing? Doing well. I was sitting there like a doofus waiting for a phone call. <laughs> <laughs> well, I am very excited to get to chat to you about this film. I absolutely loved it. Wow. I was a fan of the original comic book, and it's amazing to see how it has translated to the screen. But... How would you how would you, you describe <laughs> how would you describe this film to someone who maybe hasn't read the book? Well, this is what I would say. I would say this is an Elseworlds tale. It takes Bruce Wayne in his first adventures ever as the Dark Knight himself into this uh, sort of Lovecraft e world, and then uh, we see Bruce accidentally awaken this uh, evil that threatens Gotham City. It, 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 it's interesting because Bruce Wayne is a science mind and he is up against the fantastical and he has to sort of give over to that world. Yeah, yeah, he does. It, it, it does. It challenges him, I think, at every turn. Did you, did you go back and read the comic book before you started recording for this film? No, 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 not at all. I uh, go into it and I allow the directors to sort of guide me. Um, yeah. And, and sometimes I, I, I think that seeing the previous materials a little bit can, can affect a performance in a not so great way. Maybe you're just sort of, I don't know. Maybe the directors are trying to do a new take on it. Yeah. And yeah. I don't want that to inform. Yeah. Yeah. You don't want to end up kind of beholden to it, especially when it's something that I think is so well respected by fans as well. Um, obviously, this is this is your second time now voicing Batman. We had Soul of the Dragon, which was the Indeed. 70s kung fu movie homage. And this time it's something much darker. It's much more supernatural. Did did that change Indeed. the way you approached voicing him at all? It's funny. I, uh, I was doing, I was doing kind of the ADR mm. for the first movie I did. The, um, and I heard my voice in the first movie and he seemed, Bruce Wayne seemed far more innocent, uh, much younger and getting to watch that just prior to doing my voice for the, um, for this current film. I realized, and the directors and I realized that I needed to go much darker, allow Batman to get, you know, sound like he smoked like 40 cigars <laughs> that day. Um, it, it was really, I was fortunate to get to juxtapose the two performances within a very short amount of time. So it was, it was a different guy. You know, Batman's in this new film and uh, wiser and I think needed to go there. And obviously you're working with Wes Gleason and Sam Liu, who are both legends of DC animation to begin with, but also both worked on Soul of the Dragon. It must be reassuring yeah. when you know you've got that level of expertise and DC knowledge helping you craft that performance. Wes and Sam are, you know, this, this, doing voice work is often a trust fall because you're doing it in a bit of a vacuum. You're not working directly with the other actors. It's just you, a screen and the directors and boy, they are 
craftsmen of the highest order and um, getting to work with them twice. I've learned so much. It's such a different medium from film acting. And uh, I have to say, I just feel like the luckiest guy. You just mentioned something I was going to pick up on, actually, which is obviously, you know, many people will know you for work in front of the camera. Do you enjoy that change of pace when you're going in to do voice work? Are you asking if I enjoy showing up to work in sweatpants? Yes, <laughs> I, I wondered if you might say I that. Yeah. That <laughs> yeah, it's so great. An elastic waisted pant <laughs> and and getting to be Batman at the very same time. It's a very strange sensation, though. I do recommend it. <laughs> that sounds like my dream job. Oh, if only I could do that. Yeah, well, I don't know. Listen, maybe, maybe just throw on some sweats right now. You don't have to tell anybody. <laughs> one of the one of the things that i have to remind myself every time one of these films releases is that you know you as a cast aren't all in a booth together recording your dialogue but is is that something that you that you miss being able to bounce off the other actors or is it more a case of you know you're working kind of one-on-one with with wes and getting you know you you're laying down the the dialogue that way i probably miss it a little bit um because i don't know i you just kind of want to know the world that you're in. Mm. Um, and there's a learning curve, and it's a skill you learn. The first movie I I voiced, you know, I wish I could do it all over again. Because <laughs> after having seen the film, I'm like, oh, I need to do this and that. I generally feel like that after everything I do, <laughs> to be honest. But um, it's just an entirely new skill. There is no possible way you could do it in a room with all the actors. That would take a year, and it would be imp- it would just be impossible to do. But I do miss it a little bit, and that's why watching the films after you're done with them is so informative. So you can go into the next one and just crush it. Have you had a chance to watch this film back yet? I haven't seen the whole film. I don't like to do it until I can get my wife and my daughter in the Aww. room with me. Though I did, I, I did receive a link and I watched some of it, and uh, I love it. And I also see like tons of it because you go in and do um, ADR, you kind of fill in the gaps of things they didn't get. So it's 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 very fun. But I like to see it all at once. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you're you're now in this legendary club of actors who played Batman. Some huge and amazing names yeah. and such a legacy. What what do you think it is that makes the character so enduring? He's the sexiest of all the superheroes, isn't he? Totally agree. A little bit. Totally there's, agree. There's a darkness. I mean, sort of. My wife plays Lois Lane and uh, in, in a TV show called Superman and Lois. Elizabeth it's a big Alex, week for her as well, season her, premiere. It is. They just had it, and I just went to the rap party last night. Um, and anyhow, so Tyler Hecklin, who plays Superman, and I often joke. I'm like, listen, Tyler, you get, you get, to, wear the, you get to wear your suit, all that kind of stuff. But, you know, Batman's far sexier. Can we admit it? And, uh, and he agreed. So I think that there's a darkness to him. I think that he uh, has suffered. I think that he suffers. And I think that, I mean, it's just a very cool, a cool uh, archetype. I think we really now need to see your Batman and his Superman together. I had not thought of that, well, but will... I'm just putting that out in the universe yeah. right now. Can we see please. that, please? Can we do Someone this? make that happen. Can we do this? We'll... <laughs> Can we all three be wearing sweats? Can we all do it? <laughs> 
brilliant thank you so much for taking time to chat with me today i i, I genuinely cannot for wait for oh no please don't worry i cannot wait for fans to see this i think it is a brilliant adaption it is a wonderful movie and i really hope we get more of your batman in the future so thank you very much you and me both thank great you. And thank you again to him for taking the time to chat with me. Uh, he was absolutely lovely. I didn't get to speak to him for Batman Soul of the Dragon, so that was my first chance to to chat to him about his Batman. I think I'm going to start making a list of all the Batmans that I've gotten to speak to because, well, as you know, he's like my favourite character of all time. So I, I need to make a list of how many Batmen I have spoken to over the years. One of the things that's really interesting about this film is how many characters from the world of Gotham and from the world of DC that are weaved into the story to make it have that classic Batman feel but also to be able to present them from from different and very interesting angles so obviously you know Alfred is there you get to see in the film that Dick Grayson is there in the book there are more Robins uh, Jason Todd does appear in the book but has been replaced with uh, Tante Gabriel's character Kylie Kane so as I said I wanted to talk more about her and the reason that I want to talk about her is because I think she is both a brilliant in uh, inclusion in the in the film, but also is representative of what is probably a more I don't want to say accurate because I don't want to take away from the original book, but it's a fairer representation of the story that is put forward in the book. So in Magnolia and Pace's original story, uh, Bruce is not in Gotham when the film starts. He is travelling the world on this huge uh, sailing ship um, and he is in search of Oswald Cobblepot and um, we kind of catch up with him as they they hit the Arctic and that appears to be where Oswald is hiding or his expedition, as it were, has, has ended up. And what we learn through that scene is that there is this supernatural force which has ties back to Gotham City and it's what brings Bruce home. But in, in coming home, we learn that he's been away for 20 years. And somehow in the book, in those 20 years, the only people that he has managed to amass and collect as part of his his crew are former Robins from the, from the main continuity. So Dick Grayson is there, Jason Todd is there. And... It seems strange because both of them are so young that obviously he would have had to have met them on his travels but somehow in the book he only ever meets people that would have been in Gotham if this was the normal continuity. So bringing in a character like Kylie represents a little bit more of his travels. She's not from Gotham, you know, she's not just straight white male. She is actual diversity in a cast which is very, very white in the book itself. So I appreciate what Jace Ritchie, the writer, did in in diversifying the cast of bringing in Jay as well. So so Sanjay, as he's known, is, and is, you know, in the cast list, is Sanjay, quote unquote, Jay, almost like Jason, in a way. So even with Kylie, uh, her surname is Kane, as in C-A-I-N, rather than K-A-N-E. So she is the type of Kane that could be Cassandra Kane, and that's something that I have seen people theorising about online. So there are still ties to characters from the wider Batverse, but not necessarily people who are tied to Gotham. And I think that's really interesting. And it's a it's a great example of how this book is translated to the screen and adapted, because, you know, it is an adaption. Uh, it's a great example of how that adaption works to make the film both more accessible to an audience than the book might have been if it was translated directly, but also 
to make sure that it is more representative of what we would expect to see on screen in this modern era. So I think now is as good a time as any to hand over to Jay's to hear my interview with him as we talked about how he took Mignola and Pace's original story and brought it to the screen. Hi, Jace. How right. are you yep. doing today? Good. How are you? Yeah, hey, I am very quick, well. Thank I you. Caught, I, I, uh, sorry, I, I, I caught um, your interview with Josie Campbell. Uh, oh. Uh, yes, I thought you guys, you guys did a great job. And, you know, um, Thank so you. Anyways, she, I, I, any, any, any interview that gets Pepe Silva rough in there, I'm like, all about. So. <laughs> I absolutely, <laughs> I, I love talking to writers. I think it's amazing diving into how you pull together these stories and you know with this one being um a, you know a comic book which has existed since what 2001 i think it's it's interesting to see how these things get adapted to the to the screen but how how would you describe the doom that came to gotham to someone who maybe hasn't read the comic book well i think you know it's it, 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 I think because Batman is a more recognizable property, like, oh, it's a Batman in FG Shards, it's a Batman Elseworlds. But in my mind, it was always equal parts Lovecraft. And mm. that's something that I wanted to, to sort of interpret into the movie, bring into the movie, which is, is um, and, you know, talking with Jim Krieg uh, and, and Sam, who we were, you know, from the very beginning talking about, I'm a big Lovecraft fan, I'm a huge horror fan, big Batman fan too. But <laughs> um, so this, in a lot of ways, this is my dream project. But really bringing that sense of Lovecraftian dread was, was super important. Um, sorry, I, I, I think I heard a little echo, so I didn't want to interrupt you. Did I just interrupt you, Neil? Sorry. No, 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 you're good. You're all good. Okay. I, you just, you touched on something there, just in terms of the horror elements that are in, in this book. And something which I do find really interesting with this kind of adaption as well is, obviously, when I've read it, there are certain things that I've picked up on, which for me, as a horror fan are those kind of supernatural demonic elements that are in there. Um, but it's interesting to see what, you know, you as a writer coming to this project also kind of hones in on in your version of it. And something which surprised me actually when I watched this film for the first time was that I picked up on a lot more of Bruce's emotional journey and his character arc and that the way he confronts his kind of destiny to become the Batman, as it were. When you were writing this, were you, you know, were you still... Is your nose in the original book for references or do you try and separate yourself when you sit down to write this film in terms of kind of not trying to almost completely recreate it word for word, but put your own stamp on it at the same time? Yeah, it's it, it certainly is tricky to do an adaptation, adaptation especially of something that's so well done and so well respected in the first, uh, you know, in the first case. Um, you know, but the, the, the trick obviously is that a, a graphic novel, three parts is very different than a feature story. And especially an 88 minute feature story where you have to sort of get a lot in. Um, but you know, the, the goal for me was always, you know, to respect, like I, I would check in with the book every now and then be like, you know, what? Oh, you know, I think they used a really great turn of phrase here or something like that. Or the dialogue here was really exceptional. But the one thing that, you know, I think we made a conscious effort to bring to, cause there was a lot, you know, you want to respect Batman and you want to respect, you know, uh, you know, the Lovecraft in the original, um, book is, uh, it's excellent. Um, but you know, there's got, there's a certain sort of, there had a, I want, I, what I was wanted to bring was that emotional through line, you know, something of like, how is Batman, you know, this Bruce Wayne different from act one to act, act three, you know what I mean? And because he has this amazing, 
transformation where he embraces, you know, in the book, he embraces his Batmanosity, you know, the, the sort of like, uh, please don't use that word Batmanosity, but, you know, <laughs> the, the like, supernatural element to his full of parts. So it was really just a matter of like, okay, well, if that's where he ends up, where does he begin? And that's where, and, and again, it, it, it's in there in the book, but we really wanted to bring that up to the front where it's, it's a, you know, Batman is classically a character who always embraces science and logic and ration and rationale. And, and this, he's not going to win if this story, if he does, doesn't, does hold on to those things. So he's got to let go. So it was, it was working backwards from there. And, you know, I think, that was one of the changes we made from the book, which I was really happy with, was bringing Thomas Wayne to more the forefront, mm, you know, to yeah. give it that emotional, like, if anything was going to turn him, it was going to be his own father saying, look, kid, uh, the supernatural is real. This is real. You're in a situation where, you know, science is going to get you out. You've got to embrace who you are. Um, you know, that's what everybody is telling. That's what, you know, um, um, Langstrom's telling him. Everyone's telling him throughout the story. Um and it, at last, he finally does. So that was something that, and Barbara Gordon too. That was something that we were consciously looking to add. Not that it was missing from the the graphic novel, but I think just when you translate to a movie, there's certain you know growth that uh, modern audiences look to see, and and I do too, as a fan of, of both of these things. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And it's even as I was writing my questions, it's trying to find the right wording because it's not that you're improving. It's just changing it for that different medium to make it you know make sure that it still makes sense and it doesn't lose anything in that translation and one thing that I wanted to focus on was the character of Kylie absolutely brilliantly Mm. played by Tati Gabriel you know she takes the role that was originally played by Tim Drake in the comic book so can you just talk a little bit Mm. about introducing her and diversifying the cast for for a more modern audience yeah I mean I think to this was Sam Liu, uh, who's, you know, obviously I can't say enough terrific things about, I know, you know, you, you've probably spoken to him a million times, but he, you know, and Jim and I, we were sitting down and saying, you know, if you look at the book, it was just because there wasn't some detail in the book, maybe I missed it, but there's some details that were missed. Like Batman left right after his parents, died. Bruce left. And then he traveled the world. And then, you know, uh, somehow Dick Grayson came in, but Dick knew people from Gotham and stuff like that. So we just wanted to clarify that, but then it started to make sense. Like, you know, if he's traveling the world and like really accumulating these, these, you know, quote unquote Robins, they wouldn't be Jason Todd, you know, and, and, you know, Tim Drake, Mm. let's get them from around the world, you know, and it was more of an organic thing. I mean, sure. I think there's, uh, you know, uh, an eye towards making, you know, diversifying the cast, especially for modern, modern audience, but it wasn't to me, it felt really good because it wasn't like, uh, a conscious effort to like, oh, we got to make sure that, you know, everyone's like, yeah. it was a, came naturally from the story, you know, and, and it made sense to me that he, Bruce would pick up sort of these, um, you know, orphans from around the world, you know, um, Sanjay Todd was one of my favorite characters to write. I just, I really like Jay, um, you know, and he wasn't, you know, we wanted to keep it true to the, the, the nature, the nature characters, but obviously the, the, I'm sorry, the original characters, but obviously, you know, the, the, one of the beauty of, of the Elseworlds is you have latitude to reinterpret, um, you know, these characters in, in ways that aren't necessarily like so beholden to the, the source material. I agree. I do think it's it is very very organic to the story as well. The thing with Elseworlds projects, it always takes me back 
to being a kid and playing with the old Kenner Legends of Batman action figures. I still have my Buccaneer Batman with his with his sword. Has has working on this project kind of given you any ide- other ideas for Elseworlds stories that you know you could plop Batman into? Oh yeah, I mean I'm a big Batman fan. I it's it's funny Neil. Like I um, have been very fortunate in this last few years. In the last two years, I've written for I've been with Warner Brothers and on different yeah. projects, written like four different versions of Batman. <laughs> um, you know, because I'm also an exec or a co-EP on on, Cape, on Bruce Timm's Cape Crusader. Uh, he was a character in Superhero Girls, was the show uh, that I, I ran for a while. Uh, so it's fun to get to see, to drop him in different worlds because he's such a flexible character, you know. And uh, to, to be honest with you, like, I would almost like to see other DC get, not to back out of that question. Mm, no, no, no. But I'd almost like to see an extension of, like, I feel like one of the the frustrations, not frustrations, but one of the the, the most exciting parts of the script was, like, wanting to, like I want to like Kylie. I would love to see her story continue. And you know, I he died in the movie, but I, the Kylie and and uh, Oliver Queen were like my favorite relate one of my favorite partnerships. And I'd like to see the 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 DC world expand within this world. I was just really fascinated with how these characters translate because you know we get we didn't get to spend. I mean that's that's part of the the the, the thing with the else worlds is. You just get glimpses of what these other characters would be in this world. Like, oh, yeah, that's what Mr. Freeze would be like. That's what Poison Ivy would be like. But you don't really get to dive in. And it would be really cool to sort of, like, uh, spend more time and expand that world. Um, you know, but there's, yeah, sure, of course, there's lots of places I'd love to take Batman. But Batman's been to a lot of places. I kind of like this. <laughs> I, I really fell in love with this world, you know. That's a very good point. I hadn't even given any thought to, you know, where is Wonder Woman in this world? Where is Superman? That's that's something potentially very exciting that you could explore. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Wonder Woman would be great. Like, that, that's, <laughs> the wheels are turning right there. Like, uh, well, thank you very much. I really appreciate you taking the time to chat with me today. I can't wait for fans to see this film. I, I absolutely loved it, and I think it, it translated to the screen so well. So thank you very much, and best of luck with it. Well, Neil, thank you thank for the time. You. I really And again, a massive thank you to Jace for taking the time to sit down and chat with me about writing this film. Uh, It's always wonderful to talk to writers and hear their perspective on creating this type of property. Because as we all know, it's not easy to bring an adaption to the screen, particularly something that is so loved by audiences in the comics. And I think he did a really wonderful job. So it was co-directed between Sam Liu and uh, Christopher Berkeley. Now, as I said at the top of the podcast, Sam has worked on so, so many DC projects over the years. And it all goes back to 2004's uh, The Batman, which is such an underrated series. So I'm going to go through his IMDb. So as a director, uh, Batman the Doom that came to Gotham, Batman Soul of the Dragon, Superman Red Sun, DC Showcase Death, Wonder Woman Bloodlines, The Death and Return of Superman, which was the combined movie, which was The Death and Reign of the Superman, Justice League versus The Fatal Five, Suicide Squad Hell to Pay, Batman Gotham by Gaslight, Batman and Harley Quinn, Teen Titans The Judas Contract, Batman The Killing Joke, Justice League versus Teen Titans, Justice League Gods and Monsters, <sighs> Beware the Batman, the TV series, Green Lantern, the animated series, Batman Year One, All-Star Superman, Young Justice TV series, Justice League Crisis on Two Earths, Superman, Batman, Public Enemies, Batman, uh, The Batman vs. Dracula, The Batman TV series. 
How mad is that? I mean, he's been a producer on all of those movies as well. And in terms of um, art department, he's also a background painter and storyboard artist. So he's worked on Young Justice, Justice League Dark Apocalypse War, Batman Hush, Justice League Dark, Batman Return of the Caped Crusaders, Batman Bad Blood, <laughs> Batman vs. Robin, Justice League Throne of Atlantis, Assault on Arkham, The Dark Knight Returns two-part film, and Batman Year One, All-Star Superman, Batman Superman Apocalypse, Under the Red Hood, Crisis on Two Earths, Batman Superman Public Enemies, Green Lantern First Flight, the Wonder Woman animated movie, which goes all the way back to 2009, Batman Brave and the Bold TV series. It's, I mean, he was working on Superman Doomsday in 2007, Justice League Unlimited, the TV series, Teen Titans, the TV series. His, it's just insane. His repertoire with Warner Brothers and DC is unparalleled. And I have been a fan of his for so long and it was so wonderful to chat to him about this film. So I'm going to throw over to my interview with him now. Uh, so this is me and Sam Lou talking about Batman, the doom that came to Gotham. Hi, Sam. Hi, Neil. How are you doing? Wow, these windows are tight. <laughs> <laughs> we have 10 minutes? That's crazy. Okay. <laughs> How are you doing today? Uh, I'm doing good, good. So, How are you? Oh, I'm very well, thank you. I'm I'm really excited to chat to you about this movie. I absolutely loved seeing this book translated to the screen. Uh, why don't you start off by telling me what excited you about taking on the doom that came to Gotham as an adaption? Um, honestly, it was like, it, there was a video game I was playing. Right? It was called Bloodborne. And mm. um, it's, it's very sort of, I don't know what you call it. It's kind of Victorian horror. Um, and I think in general, also, I, I, I've just been interested in, um, you know, I say this, but I haven't watched a ton, but like aspects of like Japanese horror, Korean horror. Yeah. Um, and so um, it kind of got me into this thing. And, I, and I, I remember having a conversation with Bruce when I was finishing up, you know, my run, um, you know, on the DTVs, with, you know, with Bruce and, and James Tucker. You know how it would be great if there was like a you know sort of a like a horror story, and so he was just I wasn't aware of the book to be honest, and he was just like, hey, have you well have you read you know uh, Batman the Doom that came in Gotham? And so I was like, no. And so uh, yeah, and that's just kind of how it started. You know, I mean, I uh, I'm uh, I'm not saying I'm the biggest fan, but there's elements of horror as far as like the storytelling, uh, which has always intrigued me, and the and um, you know the whole thing of like integrating i was kind of an emo kid when i was younger so <laughs> the whole thing of like gothic horror is yeah. always interested you know because there's a there's like a human element there's always like a to me anyways the, the the things that i liked was the human element the sort of like um i don't know there's like a there's like a psychological but but also i think the best sort of horror like the frankensteins and stuff like that there's it's like a reflection on society uh, in a way or uh you know how things. You know, I mean, if if, if like say Frankenstein, if Frankenstein was just to me, anyways, it was always just about you know people that don't fit into society. You know, they're like the monster. You know, if you were somebody that you know has potentially even like a good heart or whatever, but you're viewed as something and you're ostracized and all that kind of those elements, anyways. You know, underneath all of it, uh, have things that that were that always intrigued me. So psychological, I guess, horror. Um, uh, was just something that I was like really interested in, and sort of how it tests you. Um, I don't know. That was long-winded. <laughs> I don't even know if I answered the question. 
you've had the opportunity to work on so many amazing DC projects over the years. Is it also somewhat kind of refreshing to break from that traditional continuity and get to present these characters with that kind of horror psychological aspect and do something that maybe members of the audience who haven't read the book are completely not expecting to see? Um, yeah, and I know it's very different. You know, uh, I've I've had this discussion with, you know, uh, like co-workers and things like that. It's, it's like, you know, uh, we've, we've told so many, um, you know, superhero stories, let alone Batman stories, right, that, uh, you know, I mean, fans may not like it because I understand fandom is like, you know, you, you became fans of things because of a very specific time or a story or a, a movie, um, and, and you want that to sort of always continue, right? Um, it's like music to me, right? It's, it's like you have a favorite band and you like them because of either a song or a certain album and you just kind of wish that they could just do iterations of that same album over and over. But I don't think that that's exactly actually what they want. But as a creator, I kind of feel like, and you know, maybe I'm <laughs> not, I'm sp- not speaking for everybody, obviously, but I kind of feel like you get kind of tired of sort of a certain formula yeah. that I always like doing something different and new. And this one was very, very challenging. Um, I kind of almost went, I feel there's part, there's times I felt like I was over my head um, <laughs> and I, we did so much on this. I mean, just visually, because I was just like, wow, there's so many things that aren't reading, but it needs these effects that are on it. Do you know what I mean? It needs to feel more spectacular and there's way more that I wish we had time to do. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it was definitely challenging. Um, and I think that's kind of makes it interesting, but it also kind of gave me PTSD about the end of it. So. <laughs> I mean, when you when you do go back to that original book, the I mean, you have the the stunning cover art by Mike Mignola himself, but then that interior art, uh, it's Troy Nixie, I think, Dennis Jank, and then Dave Stewart who did the colours. It, I mean, it's not. You look at that book and you don't necessarily think this is the kind of visual style that will translate into animation. So, how did you how did you approach the visual style for the film? Yeah, you know, because part of it is especially in kind of the, you know, um, I don't know, uh, the, the specific part of the business that we're in, right? Because we're, for the most part, we're, we're like more like TV animation, right? So they're, they're partially it's creative and partially it's sort of like what assets do we have? How much time do we have? How much money do we have? Um, and how do we sort of, sort of maximize things, right? So, um, so part of it, part of, I feel like the uh, decision-making is kind of like what is, what, is going to make this potentially doable, right? And we have to quantify the style, right? Mm. Because if it's people's styles that are way too, way too organic, you know, because not it's not just like one person animates it like a comic, right? Like one person draws it, and that's going to be consistent, right? There are like, you know, you know, tens, like you know, and I don't, I don't, want, I don't think it's a hundred, but there's a <laughs> lot of people that are that have yeah, to yeah. actually draw it, right? And they are, they don't all draw the same, you know, obviously, right? And some of them are more skilled than others, so I think. Part of it is trying to figure out something that's replicatable. Is that the right word? <laughs> um, and so, um, Chris Samney is, is somebody that basically um, I've always liked, loved his work. And I think in the back of my mind, because there's no way we were going to replicate Trey Nixley's work, right? Um, I always just thought like, hey, if we if we could get like a Johnny Quest kind of look style or whatever, you know, um, uh, I would be happy with it. You know, like a like an Alex Toad type type thing. You know, yeah. it feels a little bit retro and stuff like that. And I think like Chris Stanley's work, um, you know, really reflected that. So we were trying to 
you know, we used him as the springboard. He did a lot of sort of pre-production designs for us, um, and we tried to replicate it as best we could. But again, it, it always sort of, you know, defaults down to something, right? Just because it passes through so many hands. And then with with these kinds of adaptions from the from actual kind of comic storylines as well, there are always things that end up changing just to help make the 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 story translate and play well on screen. And I think one of those kind of major changes here is introducing the character of Kai Lee that's played by uh, Tati Gabriel. Um, can you talk a bit about the decision to bring in this new character and, and switch out the role that was originally Tim Drake in the in the source material? Uh, this is going to be potentially tricky <laughs> because um, know, this is going to offend some people, right? Uh, but it's, it, when, we, when, when Jim Craig and I, we first sort of sat down and we started looking at the book, right? We were just like, wow, it's majority of the cast, like 90, 90, <laughs> 95% of it is, I was going to say 100, but I don't even know if it's 100 is basically like white males. Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. And we're just kind of like, and so we're just like, you know, we should at least try to mix this up a little bit. So we went to, we, we thought about basically, and again, like, you know, I, I'm somebody also that's, you know, a fan of things and stuff like that, and I don't like sort of changes too much, right, unless they make <laughs> sense. And so to me, the whole thing of like Bruce going abroad for 20 years, and that's where his training goes, right, because Alfred takes Bruce, as soon as his parents die, Alfred takes Bruce and he leaves Gotham and is away for 20 years and he's basically going through around the world and that's where he picks up all his things, right? His physical um, skills, his detectiving skills, his, you know, um, the mystic kind of knowledge. Um, it's because he's been around the world, right? And so to me, the, the quote-unquote Robins um, <clears throat> would be picked up around the world. Yeah, so, absolutely. Um, so, so things like that kind of made sense to me. So it's just like, um, so anyways, so, you know, um, speaking with Jason and stuff like that, we were just kind of playing around with kind of things like, you know, um, I don't know if it's Jace that sort of had, you know, Sanjay be from India, yeah. you know, um, but so I, that was like a, I, th- I thought like a pretty brilliant kind of thing, you know, being able to sort of, you know, use his name and sort of make it Indian and stuff like that. But, um, but we did want, I, I don't know. I've always been a fan of like, uh, um, Cassandra Kane. Um, yeah. And yeah. So, I've actually had like very different names and stuff like that. So uh, I was just like, you know, since it is an Elseworlds kind of thing and it is sort of the Bat family, like, um, you know, she is at one point in it, she was Batgirl. And so I just thought like, hey, that, that would work. I, I noticed as well. I was when I was researching. I, I saw there was there was quite a few fans online who are theorizing that it is a version of Cassandra Kane as well. Yeah, she was kind of a mix of at first, you know. But I think it's it's primarily Cassandra. You know, I think just the other part, because we were thinking of like, uh, uh, shoot, I can't remember. Anyways, the, the, the Robin from, uh, the Dark Knight, Frank Miller's The Dark Knight. Uh, oh, uh, what was her name again? Carrie Kelly. Carrie Kelly. Yeah. So Kylie was supposed to, we were trying to get, make a, a like a Chinese version of Carrie. Um, so it was, it was supposed to be a cross between Carrie Kelly and, uh, Cassandra Kane. But it's mostly Cassandra Yeah. It, uh, well, as you were saying, I think I think it feels very organic to the story itself. So I I really think you you achieved what you were saying there in terms of making it feel natural and it fits with the story and what Bruce is doing. Um, that is it for my time. So thank you so much for chatting to me about okay. this film. I I can't wait for people to see it. I think people are really going to love what you've done with this. So congratulations and thank you again. Uh, thank you so much.
And again, a huge thank you to Sam. It was absolutely wonderful to be able to talk to him about this film, and I hope we get to chat to him in the future. It was funny because my PR contact said he was sure that we must have spoken before, but we genuinely, genuinely have never. I've never interviewed him before. And it's interesting hearing him talk about, you know, time constraints on getting these movies completed and getting them out and something that I really did want to talk to him about knowing that he has an artistic background and I would love to chat to him more about it in the future is how you open up a book like The Doom That Came to Gotham which has a very very unique and niche art style it's very heavily stylized Troy Nixie's artwork is is instantly recognisable as him how you open that up and bring it to the screen because it's not something that you could translate literally. It would it would almost look like moving sketches rather than something which is much more fluid and coherent like this film is. So it's always interesting to me when, when you do adapt a story like that which has such well-known, loved and unique artwork, how you're able to do that without kind of getting overwhelmed by it, to be honest, because it's such a huge task to, to try and take that on. As for the look of this film, I think it is really consistent and really beautiful. The benefit of the digital releases these days is the fact that you get to see them in 4K and my god does the animation look stunning. It's so clear and has wonderfully fine lines and especially with something like The Doom That Came to Gotham which is this really unique take on the Batman character and Gotham City as a whole. It's so immersive and what you'll notice from the art style in this is that there is a huge use of fire and the contrast in colours when fire is used are absolutely brilliant so there is a I'm not going to spoil anything but there is a particular scene towards the end that plays on it incredibly well where Bruce is kind of confronting some of the demons of his past and part of one of the other characters who's in that scene is is fire and it's almost like Bruce himself is in black and white he's not he's just in shadow and it's very dark and it's very inky and murky but the other character is this bright flaming ball within the screen and it looks stunning and there is just scene upon scene upon scene which is that level of dynamic imagery and has so much fire going on that it really cuts through the kind of again the the murky inky colors and the earthy browns of this sort of less technological version of Gotham you know when you think about a film like Superman Man of Tomorrow it's very bright shining metropolis that metropolis is it's very futuristic it's very clean it has lots of kind of silvers and and whites and curved edges whereas this version of Gotham is very brown and dark and earthy again because it's set in the past it's you know you have to reflect that time period but it just it reflects the Batman aesthetic incredibly well one of my favourite scenes is when he first suits up as Batman, uses his grapple gun and flies across the city. I mean, one of our favourite things that all of us have done in the Arkham games that we've seen in every film. And in this film, it just really sits well with the aesthetic. It's a brilliant voice cast as well. And I want to pick back up on that just before I play my interview with Patrick Fabian, because one of the wonderful things about an Elseworlds movie is how, if you've never read it or you've never seen it, you know, if you come to this film having never read the book, then you will be, you know, completely unaware of what's going to happen and you won't know how to expect certain elements from Batman history to be presented to you. But even in adapting a book that many of the audience will have read, they still make these slight tweaks and changes 
uh, you know, sometimes they work really well, like I think they do here, and other times they maybe don't work so well. You know, a lot of people didn't react to how they changed the ending of Hush to change who Hush was. Um, but at the same time, you can't deny that that takes a story that people know well and makes them on the edge of their seat because there's a twist that they're not expecting. And something that's really interesting to watch in this film is the story arc that uh, goes to Patrick Fabian's character, Harvey Dent. So we all know the legend of what happens to Harvey, how you know he goes through this descent into madness and becomes Two-Face. And there are those classic bits of iconography with him, like you know the split down the face, the flipping of the coin, and you know in certain respects those things remain here in this story but they're presented very very differently and so that was something that i was very keen to talk about with patrick fabian because he has played a couple of other characters in the dcu in animated movies before he's played many 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 different characters on tv um and what i wanted to talk to him about was the kind of excitement that you get as an actor when you take on a role like this which people are very familiar with but you get to present it to the audience in a way that they don't expect because that gives you a kind of extra level of excitement because you're not you know you're not just taking on a classic character you're taking on a classic character and you're telling the audience a story that they're not going to expect so that was something that i really wanted to talk to him about so i am going to throw it over to my interview with him and you can have a listen to what happened when i chatted to him about harvey dent hey man how you doing today i'm good thanks how are you doing thanks so much for taking the I'm time good. to chat with me absolutely so, the doom that came to Gotham, this isn't perhaps maybe a version of these characters and this world that everyone in the audience is going to be familiar with. What can you tell us about this kind of supernatural 1920s inspired version of the Batman story? Well, what I think is great about it is that, you know, uh, Batman and Bruce Wayne, his sensibilities are definitely intact. And what I find great about it, um, you know, I, I've watched it and, and what I loved about it was this as you said, the, the supernatural qualities to it. It takes Batman to a, another world, the else world, you know, and um, what it does is it opens up a whole new uh, place for us to watch him behave, to see who he is. And what's great is that you find that the core foundations of who Batman is is the same thing, no matter what world he's in. Yeah. And what's interesting story-wise is that you get to see these other characters, Harvey Dent's there and Commissioner Gordon, uh, Barbara Gordon, his daughter, you know, um, so they're there, but they're out of place where we are familiar with them. And yet they are familiar people to us. And so I think that's what makes the tale so interesting to watch. Absolutely. And so you just touched on the character there, but you're playing Harvey Dent. Again, a character that many in the audience are going to presume that they, they know who he is and they know the journey that he's going to go through. And that's something which is presented very, very differently in this film. Is that exciting to you as an actor to kind of not just take on such a huge story, but to take on a character that the audience has these presumptions about that they know who they are and get to bring a new perspective to them. Well, I think so. I think, you know, fans, of course, want what they want, right? Yeah. But uh, they, they, they do, right? Look, you know, there's a familiarity. Like, I know who Harvey Dent is, right? People are like, that's who he has. And so when you start to go outside of that realm, it might make people a little uncomfortable. But what's great is that there is this, this extra window. Uh, Harvey's good guidance and him wanting to help the city, I really like a lot. Um, I love the fact that he's given a speech, how he's running for mayor. And, yeah. and uh, the notion that he's literally, I mean, talk about like hitting the nail on the head. He's going to clean up the rats and the vermin of, of Gotham, I think is a brilliant stroke. You know, it's so fun. And, uh, and also, you know, watching uh, this, this world's version of Poison Ivy get to him to, to, to have his face disfigured the way it is, which is familiar. 
mean, eventually we see Harvey yeah. Dent as the two-face that we know him to become, but it's a different iteration of how it happens. And also, you know, in that, in that, uh, the last time we see him, basically, when, when Batman's entering the cave, going underworld, he's guarding the gate, but he doesn't really guard the gate, Harvey doesn't. He, he actually wishes Batman good luck. So there's something different there about him, which shows his humanity about Harvey that I think uh, is, is fun to see. And I think fans will really like it. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. And I'm always interested to hear from actors how they how they find their voice for an animated character. So, so when you hit that recording booth, where where did Harvey come from? Well, I have to say, I, the first thing I wanted to do was make sure I wasn't trying to just ape Tommy Lee Jones from the movie, <laughs> because Tommy Lee Jones for me is a really great actor, and I, you know, that was a high energy performance that he gave in. And I was of the right age where that burned into me, so I was like, "Don't be." Tommy Lee Jones. But the great thing is, you know, Wes, Wes Gleason is our booth director. And um, Wes really is uh, a master at getting what he needs to get out. And he's a great way to, you know, in terms of directing voice, it's a real art. Uh, not that directing actors, you know, straight up isn't, but it, it's a different kind of thing. And he puts thoughts in my brain and attitudes in my brain and, and, and suggestions that brings out something that's already in me. You know, as an actor, you, you take the script. And you, and you want to do your intentions and what's going on. But Wes is really good at feathering in other ideas because Wes also has a better idea of what the totality of the whole thing is. So really, I put my hands in Wes Gleason and he makes me look good. There's your answer. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to touch on that exact thing. I mean, you obviously worked with Wes on the death and reign of Superman as well. I mean, it has to be incredibly yeah. reassuring to know that you've got someone who is considered a legend in the world of DC animation, they're helping you to, to bring this character to life. And then I, I presume because you'd worked with him before, you kind of had that shorthand as well. It helps you kind of just get going with this one. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it was really great. You know, Wes and I know each other. And so therefore, as we started to do it, he was able to say like, uh, okay, you're not, you're Harvey in this one. All right. You're not Hank <laughs> Henshaw in this one, <laughs> which, is, which is a gentle way of saying maybe something different, my friend, which is good. I can take that. Um, but, you know, he has a sensibility of what we're going for tone wise. And I haven't done a ton of animation. Mm. I haven't done a ton of voiceover work when it comes to that. And so therefore I'm a little nervous and scared about it. And he was really good at encouraging me to go as far as I needed to go. And, I, and, and, and that was always, you know, that's exciting as an actor to be able to do that. Absolutely, yeah. And how, now that you have done a couple of these films as well, is it, can you compare it to doing live action work? Do you, do you enjoy one more than the other? How do, you, how do you kind of get your head around the variation between the, the two very, very different styles? Well, I wish I had a camera on me when I was in the booth. So <laughs> guess what? I'm acting up a storm. There's no doubt about it. You know, my arms are moving. I'm trying to move. Matter of fact, a couple of times they had to remind me, you need to stay on the mic, Patrick, because I was <laughs> running around and moving off the microphone because it's exciting and it's fun. So in that respect, uh, it's the same for me. Um, it's just uh, I'm, I'm not wearing the pretty clothes anymore. <laughs> uh, you know, any any kind of storytelling is, is what I got in this, in this for. And what was great was when I watched uh, The Doom Became the Gotham, uh, I was reminded of the magic of it all, the magic of storytelling, whether it's live action or animation. There's, I love going into different worlds, and it's, uh, it's honor, and it's, it's fun, and it always makes me pinch myself to know that I'm lucky enough to be in it. I have to remind myself, every, I mean, I do this every time one of these films comes out, but I have to remind myself that you, you know, the cast aren't all together in the recording booth when you're you know, doing the dialogue for this. 
is that something that you that you miss during those sessions or are you oh, just too busy having fun running around the room to to kind of notice that you're you're just playing with the script and the visuals in front of you rather than other actors yeah you know what i i, I do miss that and i think uh there are times when uh people do get to do scenes together um i i believe we were we were doing this during covid still when yeah. covid protocols were very much up and running and so therefore it was you know, I don't even think I got to shake their hands. I was more like I came into my booth and I saw them through the glass and all that sort of thing, which is okay. That's that's what work was at that point, and it's yeah. changed now. So I, I, I don't know if there's a situation where they actually let them uh, be together. And to your point, to answer your question directly, um, it is a bit odd. But guess what? Pretending for a living is a bit <laughs> odd. So it's just another, you know, chalk it up to another day at work. <laughs> And I mean, you touched on uh, Tommy Lee Jones there, but uh, just before I dialed in, I was looking at just the list of actors who have voiced him, played him, Harvey, in other in other projects. And you know, I'd forgotten that William Shatner voiced him in Batman versus Two Face a few years ago. What what do you think it is about a character like this, or you know, characters like Batman, which make them so enduring in pop culture? Oh, you know, a timeless tale of good and evil and intelligence and people wanting to do their best but being brought down by the circumstances around them. And I think Harvey's great. And he's literally called Two-Face because he's at war with himself. And I think most people are, right? Most people haven't – they want to do good, but sometimes circumstances don't allow them to. And they make make poor choices. And I think redemption – is a theme that runs through a lot of the comic world, right? Yeah. How you can get out of something, how you can take back or or make the past uh, go away, and uh, and and I think Two Face is also there as well. So I think people recognize that and they relate to it. And who? I, come on, who doesn't want to be Batman? Who hasn't thought they were Batman once or twice? <laughs> oh, that's that's pretty much every day for me. I, I think. Yeah. <laughs> so what's next for you? What are you working on at the moment? Oh, you know what? I just uh, I just wrapped an independent film called The Way We Speak, which will be out sometime hopefully next year. And a very wonderful thing. Uh, I've been working on Kung Fu up in Vancouver. Of course, I got to yep. get my my, uh, my my ass handed to me by a bunch of young people, which is really <laughs> fun. And, uh, you know, whatever's next on the horizon. I've been a working actor for 30 years, and uh, what's really great is the adventure of what's next. So if you know anybody, let me know. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today. I I really enjoyed this movie. I think it's a great version of Harvey. I can't wait for people who've read the comic book to see it and see how they make little tweaks and changes to keep it exciting. Uh, Thank you very much. And so that is all of our interviews for Batman, uh, the doom that came to Gotham huge thank you to Warner Brothers as always for giving me the opportunity to chat to the cast and crew on this film it's really wonderful to get so heavily involved with these films because I've loved them for so so long I think there is little else that I want to say about this film because it's so much fun to experience it is one of the most exciting Batman titles we've had in quite a while And it also, just overall in terms of production, is one of the most exciting as well. Uh, You know, I talked a few minutes ago about how immersive the the imagery is in terms of Gotham City. But the other thing about this film is it has a wonderful soundtrack uh, and a wonderful soundscape in general. 
so there you know there is the usual mix of action and everything in there and it's very very booming it plays well across you know your sound system at home it has some some deep bass in there which really does make every punch and every kick shot explosion you know everything hits really really well and on top of that is a uh, composer Stefan L Smith score which I haven't had a chance to listen to yet. I don't know if it's been released. I need to double check. So I'm going to type that in to my Apple Music as I'm talking to you. Um, but it uh, it's so classically Batman without um, emulating any other composer that came before. So if I... Okay, it's not available. The soundtrack is not available yet. I'm keeping an eye out for that. Uh, so you can hear echoes of Danny Elfman's Batman in there, which fits with the kind of gothic aesthetic of this film. It's you know there are echoes of Tim Burton in the style of this film, but you can also hear uh, the composers who worked on Batman the animated series. So Shirley Walker and the rest of the team that worked on Beatles created such a wonderful soundscape for that series as well. You can hear the influence of both of those in this, as well as influences from Zimmer and uh, you know. Junkie XL, everyone else who has touched the character over the years, but certainly I think when you when you watch this film, you will certainly feel like you're being led down a path that could lead to Elfman or could lead to Shirley Walker. Those those influences are really strong and make this film sound absolutely beautiful. So I think I should stop there before I start spoiling everything. Um, so as I said at the top of the podcast, Batman: The Doom That Came to Gotham is available now on DVD, Blu-ray, and digital, where all good movies are sold. Thank you again to David, Jace, Patrick and Sam for joining us for interviews. Thank you all for listening. We will be back very, very soon. So until then, stay safe, stay well, and I will see you very, very soon. Bye.